they look at this and they are told, I need you to take this entire stack of paperwork and do something that is, by all appearances, pointless and useless. Something like, I don't know, folding a, a paper airplane. I want you to make hundreds of paper airplanes. They're like, I don't really see the point of this. But one of them is told, if you do this faithfully for eight hours, I'll give you a hundred dollars at the end of the day. He might set to it a little bit of enthusiasm at first, but I'll tell you after a while, he'd probably get bored and tired of it. But what if the second guy was told, if you do this faithfully and well, then at the end of your time, I will give you not $100, I will give you $100,000. Let me ask you, which person will be more enthusiastic about the job that they have in front of them? Second person, obviously. They might both do it, but one will care a lot more, be more interested in their work. How about this? Two women have a car, are are driving identical cars. And as as they're driving down this this four-lane road and they're passing each other, something happens. It's both their fault. They accidentally turn their wheels and crash into each other at the same time. And they're fine. Their cars are totaled. One of them has $1,000 in the bank. One of them has $100,000 in the bank. No difference other than that. Which do you think is more concerned about the crashed car? And there's $1,000 in the bank. person with $100,000 in the bank is a lot less concerned because they know that they can take that, that loss, that hit. I've heard it said... Your attitude as you go through life is determined 10% by what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Your attitude is 10% what happens to you in life and 90% what happens to you. Now, is it a lot more complicated than that? Yes. Is that kind of a generalization that sometimes is unfair because sometimes, man, you just go through things and it really is bad? Yes. But is it still telling you a truth that is helpful for you and me to learn and to know and to understand and believe? Yes. There is a major difference that comes in how you and I react to what is happening to us based on who we understand ourselves to be. For this final sermon series that I will be going through, I was thinking, what is it that is the most important thing for me to be able to share with you? What is the most important thing that above all else I hope and I pray and I earnestly desire that 
you have cemented in your heads from this day forward for the rest of your life. And I could think of nothing that I wanted you to do, to know, to be able to do more than to answer the question, who am I? Who am I? Because the person who knows that they have $100,000 in the bank doesn't care as much if they crash their car. If you know that a reward that is going to be coming your way for a day's work is an immense amount of money, you have huge rewards waiting for you, it doesn't matter as much what it is that you're called to do. Who you are, your expectations of life, your understanding of who you are and what is coming your way has an immense impact on how you respond to the world around you. So, if we were to ask the question, who am I? Well, how would most of us respond if we were in a room? With, uh, if we're in a, a social situation with someone we didn't know and someone were to say, who are you? Most of us would respond by, anyone? Your name. What else? Your relationships to your spouse and maybe your kids. You might describe that. What else? Your job. Interesting how that is how most of us define us, ourselves. Let me read to you what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. Actually, starting in verse 16. It says, We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Other translations say it well. They say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. Who are you? Who are you, Joe? Who are you, Andrea? Who are you, PJ? You are a new creation. You are different because of who you are in Christ. And we're going to be exploring that in this sermon series. We're going to be taking a look at who you are and what it means that you are a new creation because of your relationship to Christ. We're going to be exploring that as a new creation, you have a new relationship to everything around you. You have a new relationship to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. You have a new relationship to works. You have a new relationship to sin. You have a new relationship to the enemy who is real and working against us. You have a new relationship to one another. And that's what we're going to be exploring during this time. Each of these aspects that we look each week, we're going to explore what we have because of our new creation life. The dangers that come with ignoring what we have. And then we're going to finish with answering the question, how then shall we live? What difference does it make? So as new creations, we have, you 
and I have a new relationship with God the Father. What does this look like? Well, one of the things that we can see is found in John chapter 1, verse 12. John chapter 1, verse 12. When it talks about Jesus, the Word coming into the world, and it says many did not receive Him, many did not accept Him, many rejected Him, but verse 12 tells us, to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Did you know that because you have trusted in Jesus, you have a new identity, and that identity is that you are God's child. As someone who has trusted in Jesus, guess what? You're not God's grandchild. My parents were believers when I was born. That doesn't mean that I am the son of God's child and God's grandchild. No, God does not have grandchildren. He has children, and you are one of them. And remember what it means. We are children of God. The one with the highest authority in this world. Do you know who, out of all the people in a kingdom, can go to a king at two o'clock in the morning and ask for a glass of milk and expect to get it? Who can ask for that? Do you think a secretary of state can? Or the advisor? Maybe not even the wife. But a child could, couldn't they? Because we are God's children, that leads us to the second point. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. I'm doing a lot of jumping around because there is so much that talks about who we are in Christ and who we are in the relationship to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ can do, has done for us. Did you know that because you have trusted in Jesus, from the moment that you trusted in Jesus, Lisa, you had a relationship with God the Father where He says, you can come to Me anytime. And I'm listening, and I'm caring, and I'm loving, and I am here for you. I am for you, Connor. That's what God says, your Father. I am for you. Why is that? Because of His great love for you. Because of the great love of the Father. Some of us might be mistaken Because we may think that God is a God of judgment, right? The God of the Old Testament is this big, bad God of judgment until Jesus finally came down and said, No, God, don't punish these people. Uh, Punish me instead. And God's like, fine. I wanted to punish you, but Jesus just spoiled all my fun. That's how we sometimes almost view God. We wouldn't necessarily say it that way, but sometimes isn't that our perspective? Did you know that everything that Jesus did, He did because of the Father's great love for you. He did because the Father was the one who sent Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 speaks of how we had done everything wrong. We were part of a sinful world, rebels to God, and we are told that everything God did for us 
raising us from the dead with Christ, making us alive, raising us up and placing us together, seating us with him in the heavenlies. He did in chapter two, verse four of Ephesians, because God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four also tells us we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And how about that ever famous verse, John 3.16? Can anyone, anyone know that verse well enough to stand up and say it? But I'm confused, Brian. Doesn't it say, but Jesus so loved the world that he came? God so loved the world. God the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son to die for us. Because he loved you. He made you and me his children. And he gives us access to him. Not only that, because ever since you and I have believed in Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. No, that's 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 says, It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He commissioned us. I love how there's another translation that I don't have in my hands right now that tells us it is God who established us together with you in Christ and who anointed us, who also sealed us and gave us his spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Oh, how beautiful that is. He, the Father, then, he established you. He made you firm in his love. So that no matter what happens, You are stable and sure and strong. Al, you are anointed. You have been anointed by the Father. You have been set apart. Made holy. Linda, you have been sealed. From the moment that you trusted in Jesus... God said, I want you to be so sure of everything that I'm going to ever give you, that I've given you the Holy Spirit as my down payment. And no matter what happens, if ever God were to fail to do everything that he has ever promised he is going to do for you, he says, you get to keep the Holy Spirit because that's how a down payment works. That is how sure that you can be of everything that God has done for you. This is who you are in Christ as a new creation. You have a new relationship to the Father. And with that, we receive some warnings. Because these things are true of us. But we must understand what that means and begin to live out according to that. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul, in his prayer for the Ephesian church, says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. 
I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope He has given to those who called His holy people who are His rich and glorious inheritance. Do you catch that? You are God's rich and glorious inheritance. He is proud of you and He looks forward to you coming to heaven more than you look forward to going to heaven. And there's a warning in that in his prayer. After all, how embarrassing would it be if you won the lottery? You won hundreds of millions of dollars and the money was yours and you knew it. But you never took the effort to find out what it meant that it was yours and how to actually gain access to that money so you could start to enjoy it. Isn't that what some of us do? Some of us say, I have trusted in Jesus. I have eternal life. I am the child of God. I am established by God. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to heaven. Great and wonderful news. I'm so, so okay about that. But we don't take the time to understand what it means for our lives and to say, this is why it matters for me and this is how my life can be changed because of what is true of me and every other believer. How embarrassing could it be? Not embarrassing as in you might lose it, but you might very much miss out on enjoying it if you don't take the time to understand it. God will not force himself on you. He will not say, Tamara, that you need, that I'm going to make you a better Christian. He's not going to tell any of us that we have to become a better Christian, a mature Christian. You know very well there are some people who have been Christians for their entire lives that have not grown close to Jesus, just kind of, but they haven't really. And it's because they're missing out, and it's a sad thing. God says He wants you to know what He is doing, and He wants you to learn about it. He wants you to trust that what He has said is true, even if the world around you tells you differently. And He wants you to start living like it. That is how we grow. That is how we learn to live like that. So how then shall we live? Second Peter 1 verse 4 says, Through these things He has bestowed on us His precious and most magnificent promises, so that by means of what was promised, you may become partakers of the divine nature after escaping the worldly corruption that's produced by evil desire. How shall we live because of who we are and our new relationship with the Father? We live by making God's promises the basis for our growth, our relationship with Him. We learn what His promises are. Find out what He is doing on your behalf, or you will miss out on experiencing the joy of it. You know what it's like when you learn about something that God has given you, something that was true of you. When you had that aha moment, you're like, I get it now. And you're like, why did I not learn that before? 
God is constantly wanting you to enjoy the benefits of those aha moments, and he will never run out. Don't ever stop searching for what God is doing on your behalf. Second way that we shall live because of this is to trust his resources. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, You, your conduct must be free from the love of money, and you must be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you, and I will never abandon you. This goes straight back to our opening illustration, doesn't it? Of how will you feel if your car crashes, but you know that you have $100,000 in the bank? How will you feel if your body begins to break apart, but you know you have a resurrection that will last forever? How will you feel if you lose your job, but you know you have a God who watches as every sparrow falls to the ground and says, you are worth more to me than many sparrows. It's it changes the way that we think, and it changes the, we, the way that we can react to the world around us. Yes, even an unfair, unjust world. We can, how then shall we live? We use God's promises as the basis for our growth. We trust His resources, and then finally we represent God well. Colossians 3, 12-14 tells us, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, as in you are right now God's chosen holy and dearly loved ones. Clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If someone happens to have a plain complaint against anyone else, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. And to all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond. If you were in such, you and I are in such a close relationship with one who loves us so powerfully, shouldn't we be able to turn around and as the children of such a powerful and of such a powerfully loving God, should we not show that same kind of powerful love to others? And yet it can be difficult, can't it? I know my patience sometimes gets tried and it's hard to show that love. But man, there is something about being permeated with the knowledge of God's love for us that can spur us on to showing God's love to others. Selfishness, ambition, short temper, unforgiveness. You know what they actually show? They show a lack of trust in God's resources for us. If I get anxious about what's going might happen in my life, it's because I feel like if I only did what was right, then I could make everything better. I just don't quite know how. If I show ambition of I will raise myself up by stepping on your head, it's because I don't trust that God will help me up. He will raise me up as I show loving kindness and service to others. Trusting God's provision allows me to love you, even at cost to myself. Why? Because I know I can trust His power working within me. When we know 
We're about to go ahead and sing uh, some hymns, worshiping God. As we prepare to do that, I want to tell you, when you and I know all that God has done and all that God intends to do for us, and when we choose to trust that it's true and live as if it's true, it has the potential to change the entire course of our lives. Trust in the Father. Trust in the Father who loves you deeply and powerfully, who by His will, by His work, made you a new creation. And not only will God say that you are never the same, you'll know it in your life right now. Let's pray, and then we're going to continue in our time of worship through song. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for your love, your great love, by which you sent the Son to die on our behalf. It is by your love that we are chosen, we are sealed, we are anointed, we are established, we are your children. Jesus, we claim that access to you that you have promised us, and we ask that you would help us to understand all that you've done for us, so that it can change the way not only that we think when we come to church, but it can change the way that we think and react to the world around us when the world is at its worst. We love you, Jesus. We do. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.